The title of my message this morning is going to be the same title as next Sunday. Today is part one, The Greatest Child Ever Born. The Greatest Child Ever Born. Part one today, part two next week. Why two parts? Because today, it didn't start in Bethlehem. It actually started in Nazareth. It started in Nazareth. So today, we are going to look at the announcement to Mary there in Nazareth. And then next Sunday, we'll look at their journey, their, their I think, 90-mile journey down to Bethlehem to where he was born. But the question I have for you this morning, well, first off, let's pray before we get into it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, God just giving us joy through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the, his presence, his power, his glory, just everything he is inside of us, how he's changed our lives, he's changed our hearts. And Lord, now as we look at your word, open our hearts and encourage us in our faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Question for you this morning. Can you name one child where we knew the outcome of their life before they were born? No, you can't. What parent has ever been given all the details of their child's life before they were born? It, it hasn't happened. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. It, it's impossible. But that's exactly what we have in the Bible before us this morning. What we have in the Bible is God revealing the complete earthly life of his son before he took his first breath. Let's, let me take you back to the Old Testament. First, let's look at his mission. God, in his word, revealed Jesus' complete life before he was even conceived in the womb. His mission in Genesis, I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is uh, God's prophetic announcement in the book of Genesis of Christ's mission. He would crush Satan. He would crush the works of Satan in people's lives. That was his purpose. The purpose of the Son of God manifest was to destroy the works of the evil one. That was his mission when he came to this earth. And it was announced long before his birth in the book of Genesis. Let's look at the next one. His death, and oh, it's, it's all over the place. Psalms 22, but I chose Isaiah 53, 5. His death before he even came into this world. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Before he breathed his first breath, before he was conceived, the prophets saw the suffering Messiah. Go study Psalms 22. It almost, it, it almost spells it out completely from beginning to end. His death on the cross given to us before his birth. Let's look at the next one, his birth, which is what we're looking at this morning. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. I love these first banners we have up on the wall. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That was the heart cry of Israel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. God, come down and be with us. The, the, but the biggest thing about 
when Christ came, they weren't looking for their spiritual deliverer. They were such under, under such heavy oppression by Rome, they wanted a, a, a deliverer from the tyranny of Rome is what they wanted. But the promise of Emmanuel was there, Isaiah 7, 14. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, his details was given to us before he was even born. Now turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, this morning we're going to have an exposition of Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. We're specifically uh, looking at, at the part concerning the Messiah, his, the announcement there at uh, Nazareth. I hear some pages turning. We're almost there. All right. Luke chapter 1. Let's start with verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. I want to stop right there. In verse 26, one of the most fundamental things that you need to know about Christmas is, look at verse 26. The angel Gabriel, it says, was sent from God. What the Christmas season represents, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it started with God. It started with God. The reason we have a Christmas, the reason we celebrate Christmas. Now, the church, they didn't, how do you say this? They didn't know his date in the early years. But in the third century, the church father says, hey, we want to know what is the date of Christ's birth. Now, they chose December 25th because it was a pagan holiday. But if you go to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it gives you details of who was, in, who was in authority, who was in power at the time. And we can date it roughly, very closely, to between 4 and 6 uh, B.C. But the, thing, the, but the thing about it is, it was the incarnation. It was the eternal God taking on flesh. And Christmas was initiated by God. As verse 26, he was sent from God. And it says, to a city uh, in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, believe it or not, this is the first time in Scripture where Nazareth is mentioned. You will not find Nazareth in the Old Testament. What's the deal with Nazareth? What were they? What were these people like? Well, here's what we do know. It was a poor village. It was a poor village, a very small population. Some scholars believe between uh, one and 200 people. But the question you have to ask yourself is why Nazareth? Why did God choose Nazareth? Why didn't he choose Babylon or Rome or even Jerusalem, the city of God? Why, did, why didn't he choose one of those major cities? In John 1.46, Nathaniel says this. He says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was the thought of the day of Nazareth. So why did God choose Nazareth to make the announcement, not the birth, but to make the announcement to Mary? Because the greatest child ever born came to identify with all people. He came to identify with all people. You know, you know, we, we've heard him, what's a common name for Jesus? Jesus of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. I believe this name and where he was born is a picture that God doesn't look at our, our wealth. He doesn't look at our income. 
He doesn't look at our social status. He doesn't look at people where they're from. He sees all people. He sees them as a, as a human being created in the image of God. He sees them as people he loves. All human beings are on the same plane across the earth, regardless of wealth, regardless of skin color, regardless of racial, ethical backgrounds, whatever. He sees all people the same. So he chose to make his announcement to Mary in Nazareth. He chose this virgin in Nazareth to make his, to, 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 so that he could identify with all people. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. Um, we can talk about Mary here. To a, verse 27. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this is, salutation this, this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Bullet number two, I'm giving you four truths concerning the birth of Christ and, why, and what the greatest child ever born came to do. And number two is the greatest child ever born came through a humble and obedient servant. What does the text tell us about Mary right here? First, it tells us in verse 27 that she was a virgin. That means she did not have sexual relations before she was married. It was her commitment to Christ. It was her commitment to holiness. It was her commitment to purity. And God expects the same today of believers, sexual purity. Any type of sexual activity, any, any type of sex outside of a husband and wife in marriage is sin. So she was a virgin. It shows her commitment to being faithful to the Lord. Verse 28 says, um, it says, uh, she was the favored one. The Lord was with you. Her faith was strong. God was with her. As all believers want. We want God by his spirit to be with us and in us and flowing in and out of us. But the Lord was strong with Mary. She was favored. In other words, I think she was, she was, um, she was, she was walking, walking the talk. She was living out the life of an obedient servant. Uh, she was an inquisitive thinker. Look at verse 29. It says, uh, but she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. She was inquisitive. She was like, hey, I don't understand this. Wait a minute, God. I know what it takes for a baby. It takes a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, to have a baby. But I haven't, I haven't done that. I don't, I, I'm a virgin. So she's thinking. She's like, I don't understand this. Help me, Lord. Help me understand this. Mary never elicits being exalted or being prayed to. She was just like one of us. She was just like one of us living everyday life, serving the Lord in holiness and obedience. Matter of fact, we know for, from her own words that Mary says she needed God. She needed God. Luke 146 says uh, in her, in, in her, her Magnificat, she says, My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary, this humble servant, knew she needed a Savior. She, she knew that she needed God. Just like we do when we see God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, and we realize 
how far we have fallen and how many times we've broken them. It breaks our hearts. It crushes our hearts. We understand that we're a sinner, and it helps us understand the glorious good news of the gospel, that we need a Savior. Mary understood that. Do you understand that this morning? Do you understand why Jesus died on the cross? Fundamental question that you need to get figured out in this life. And if you don't, you could be in big trouble. Jesus didn't die on the cross for life enhancement. He didn't die on the cross to make your life better. Okay? There's things he does in your life that makes life better, but that's not the primary reason. He did not die on the cross to make life better, to make us rich, to make us wealthy, make us have a better life. He died on the cross because we needed a Savior. We needed a Savior. We needed someone to come in and pay the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven by a holy God. God is holy up in his throne room in heaven. He, the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Us, us down here on earth, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinners by nature. And we, all mankind, needs God more than anything so that they can find forgiveness of sin. Jesus answers the most fundamental questions of life. Who brought us here? What happens after death? And what do I do with my sin? What do I do with all my lying and my lusting and my adultery and my, and my dishonoring my parents and, and, and not always placing him first? What do I do with that guilt on the inside? I have found what I do with that guilt. I take it to the cross and I find complete forgiveness through him. Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because when a person puts their trust in Jesus. He takes, he took all of my sin and my filthy rags and he placed it on himself at the cross. Then he took his righteousness that he had from all eternity and he places it on us. That's what it means to understand your need for God, that we have his righteousness. And Mary understood that. She should never be prayed to or venerated or statues or, or any of that she was a humble servant just like many people are today that god found favor let's look at verse 31 it says and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name you shall call you shall call him his name jesus he will be great and will be called son of the most high i believe this is number three on my outline the greatest child ever born that we need to understand this is he came to bring salvation. As I've talked about a while ago, he came to bring salvation to all men to find forgiveness of sin, to find this new life. She says uh, his name Jesus in Hebrew, that's Yeshua, Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. That was Christ's mission, okay? Number one, at the top of the list, when he came to this earth, he came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, after you, get your, after you get saved and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he begins to put you back together. He begins to build your life and restore those things that you had destroyed before. But primarily his mission was to save you and to give you a new life and give you a new heart and set you free from the dominion of sin. In verse 32, he says there, uh, says he will be great i love that 
It says, he will be great, talking about Jesus. Why is Jesus great? He is distinguished. He is magnificent. He is glorious. When you see Jesus and you understand everything there is about him, all you can do is fall on your face and worship and say, Lord Jesus, you are magnificent. You are glorious. What you have done in my life and the transformation that has taken place is beautiful. If people, if, if the unbelieving world saw what the gospel had to offer, every church across the land would be packed. They would be packed if they saw this new life that's available in Christ. But they're blinded. As I was before I came to Christ, I was blinded by Satan. I was blinded by my sin. I couldn't see the glory. I couldn't see how magnificent it was until I understood the gospel, until someone finally said, hey, let me explain to you the gospel. And they're like, start explaining to me God's law and how I'd broken it, not as a way of righteousness, but holding up the Ten Commandments as a mirror, saying, look, have you ever kept this commandment? No. Have you, have you ever lied? Oh, yeah, thousands. You ever stolen? You ever used God's name in vain? You ever looked with lust? And all of a sudden, I understood what sin was. And it crushed me. And then I saw this beautiful, glorious gospel that he forgives me and gives me new life. It made it, uh, verse 32, he will be great. It made it glorious. It made it magnificent. Now, what does the scripture, what does the scripture say? How does the scripture testify to Jesus, Jesus' greatness? His miracles. All the miracles he did in the New Testament. They testify to how great he was. To how he was superior to human beings. Because why? He was God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. That's what made him great. His healings. He touched people and brought healing to their body. Showed how great and how magnificent he was. And the ultimate, the pinnacle of Jesus' greatness. What makes your Lord and Savior so great? Is he did something that no human being has ever done. And that is, he rose from the grave. The Jew was on ice, dead, in a borrowed tomb. The father said, not for long, and he resurrected him. He raised him from the, he, he, he raised him from the dead. That alone <laughs> makes Jesus glorious. That alone makes him worth serving. No other religious figure or icon in the history of civilization can claim that truth. They all, you can go to their tombs today. You can go to their memorials today where they're buried, but not Jesus. Because he is risen from the dead, and that's what makes him great. Verse 32 continues, he will be great, he will be called, um, I love this title here. Uh, Jesus will be called Son of the Most High. What's he talking about there? He's talking about deity. He's talking about deity. Jesus is God. He, he is the second member of the Trinity. He is God in flesh. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Paul is talking about Jesus. Paul is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is the, um, he is the exact 
representation of God. You want to know, basically, you want to understand who God is, who the eternal, unchanging God is? Study the life of Jesus. Because he is, he is God's representation. He, he teaches us who God is and what God is like. How do we know God is a God of grace? Because Jesus showed us grace, and the scripture teaches us grace. How do we know that uh, God is a God of holiness? Because we look at the life of Jesus and the holiness and, and the, all the scripture references to where they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We learn who God is by studying his word. Verse 32, let's move along here. We're, we're um, looking at the announcement there in Nazareth. Verse 32, it says, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. The next one is this. The greatest child ever born came to bring a kingdom. He came to bring a kingdom. If you make notes in your Bible or if you like to underline things, look at, look at verses 32 and 33. And the NASB version, just underline throne in verse 32. The Lord God will give him the throne, it says in verse 32. And then 33, the next word is reign in verse 33. He will reign. And then it says over the house of Jacob forever. And, his, and here's the third word, kingdom. The kingdom will have no end. This child born in Bethlehem that lived a sinless, perfect life, suffered and died on the cross, rose again. He's coming again. And he's going to bring a kingdom with him. There's going to be a kingdom. We believe the next prophetic event is the rapture of the church, followed by a seven-year tribulation period, followed by, you ready for this? A thousand-year millennial reign. A thousand-year millennial reign. These are big thoughts, I understand. And you might be drinking deep right now, but it's what the Bible says. Revelations chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Our Wednesday night Bible study, we're going through the book of Isaiah. This is all Isaiah is about. Isaiah is like looking forward to this beautiful, glorious kingdom where Jesus Christ will reign. I'll give you a little excerpt from our study a couple nights ago. There it is. Isaiah chapter 2. Now it will come about that in the last days... The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The prophets in the Old Testament they didn't see the church age coming. They were looking forward to the kingdom where God would establish his millennial reign. And in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, he says, now it will come about in the last days. There's a millennial reign coming. In Revelation chapter 20, the first half of the section, verses 1 through 6, verses 1 through 8, right in there, it talks about a thousand year reign of Christ. Will you be a part of that kingdom? Will you be a part of that kingdom? It's a big question. How will I know if I'm going to be a part of this kingdom, this, this millennial reign of Christ? How do I know that I'll be a part of it? By being born again, by trusting in Christ. You will be a part of this millennial kingdom by being a follower of Jesus. Salvation is like a, a 
two-sided coin. Neither one of them are works. It's repentance and faith. You say, you know what, I'm done with that old life. I'm done with the sin. I'm done with the old life. I'm turning away from it, and I'm turning to Christ. And I'm putting my trust in him. And when he sees that, and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, and he comes and dwells inside of you, my friend, you're locked, cocked, and ready to rock. Okay? That's it. That is it, is, your, is, is being, a, being a Christian and being a follower of Christ. You'll get to partake in the millennial kingdom where Jerusalem will be the capital of the new earth. Go study Revelation chapter 20 and 21. It talks about the new Jerusalem, the holy city coming down out of heaven from God, the capital of the new earth. You, it even gives you the exact dimensions of the city. It gives you the exact dimensions of the city. What a beautiful study. But it's going to happen in the kingdom. The best is yet to come. Life is not at its best now. Okay? Matter of fact, this, it, can, it can be kind of bad right now. But the best is yet to come in the kingdom. You can be a part of this kingdom by trusting in Christ. Now we get to verse 34. Verse 34, I love, I, I love how God inspires Luke to write this. Because what we see in verse verse 34, we see the beautiful humanity of Mary. She was a real person just like you and me. She, she, was, she was a real average young lady living in first century Palestine, living there in Nazareth. And she was a lot like us. Had lots of questions, just living life. Um, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Now we understand Mary had faith. Mary had faith and she had believed based on the words she says. But at the same time that she believes, Mary is saying, help me, Lord. Help me understand this. Help, help, help me understand this process. As I said a while ago, I understand it takes a man and a woman to have a child. But help me understand this because I'm not figuring this out and my head is starting to swim and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not in complete control. So Lord, help me. Help me understand this. Help me understand what you're going to do, Lord. I'm trusting you. I'm serving you. I'm walking in obedience. I'm walking in holiness. But, Lord, throw me a bone. Show me something. Give me something. And the angel says to her, look at verse 35. He explains the process. Kind of like a response to her question in verse 34. The angel responds to her, verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Notice, my friend, what the angel did not say. What the angel did not say to Mary. He did not say to Mary, do this, do that, follow this step. Go here, go there. What does he say? God will do it. This was God at work. This is a beautiful picture of sovereignty. It says in there, it says uh, in verse 35, the, the, look at the statement. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The last half of verse 35, the Most High will overshadow you. And then latter part of verse 35, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. It was God's sovereign plan. All she had to do was trust and rest 
in her faith in Christ, in her faith in God. Just rest and let him do the work. It's, it's kind of a lot like us today. You know, we don't, we don't work our own salvation. We don't work our own relationship. We just stay faithful to him. We stay faithful to God. We stay faithful to studying his word. We stay faithful to fellowship. And it just happens. It just happens. God works in our lives. The New, and also another thing too here, in verses 35 through 36, the New Testament, it wastes no time in revealing to us the Trinity. In verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, right there, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Talking about the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Then it says, and the power of the Most High. I believe that, that's a reference to God the Father. The power of the Most High, the Father, will overshadow you. And for this reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all there at work at the very beginning. Praise the Lord. You're right. Some people are right. I mean, and then people that argue and talk about the Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but Trinity is there. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the picture is there. The word Bible is not in the Bible. Okay? But, but the principle and, and what it stands for, what it means, is there <clears throat> in the Scripture. So the, the, the final truth that I'm pulling out of uh, the announcement at, um, at Nazareth from the angel to Mary is this. The greatest child ever born came to display the supernatural. Came to display the supernatural. The Lord Jesus Christ, he, uh, we call it the hypostatic union. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. And we, we drive our stake in the ground on that one. That's a biblical truth taught throughout the New Testament, and we hold to it firmly. Jesus defies the laws of nature. Jesus defies the laws of nature. Everything, his life, his death, his resurrection, his birth, everything, it defies the laws of nature. It defies the laws of nature. That's the key to understanding the whole Bible. It is, it's supernatural. This book is, is a supernatural book produced by a supernatural God. People say, I have a hard time understanding the, um, the virgin birth and how all that happened, and, and I don't understand how the, the Red Seas could part. Well, welcome to the club. We can't understand it with our natural minds. But we do understand that it happened supernaturally. And that's who Jesus is. He's a supernatural, almighty God. Let's wrap this up at verses 37 and 38. Here... You know, it's, it's, it's interesting as you follow the passage. In, in verse 34, we have Mary's request, her question. Verses 35 and 36, God graciously, through the angel's announcement, answers her question. Now we have, oh, this is good, Mary's surrender. Verse 37 and 38, for nothing will be impossible with God is what he said to her. So she takes that statement in. She hears, she hears the, the angel make this proclamation, for nothing will be impossible with God. And I believe at this very moment, in this verse that we're looking at, faith arises. Faith arises in Mary's heart. And she understands in her heart what the angel is saying. And she gives us the most profound statement in verse 38. 
Verse 38 um, is a believer's response to God today. This, this is a beautiful picture of salvation. This is a beautiful picture of a person saying, okay, Lord, I surrender to you. More than saying a prayer and asking Christ into your heart, which is important and necessary, but that's important. Repentance is important. Faith is important. But simply saying what Mary says in this beautiful verse. Let this be our prayer this morning. To, to, this, is, this would be good advice, good principle to take from her life. What she says is what we should say. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I believe the angel departed from her. He's like, okay, she's got it. She's got it. Okay, Father, okay, God, we got it. Check, coming back up to heaven. She understood. And right there in the middle of verse 38, a powerful, profound statement. May it be done to me according to your word. That, my friend, is the greatest response in the New Testament. There's many of them, but that is, if not the greatest, one of the greatest responses that we, that you can say to God today, Lord, may it be to me according to your word. May it be to me according to your word. Well, how do, how do I know what the word says? You got to read it. You got to study it. You got to say, okay, God, I understand what your word says. Now let me live it out. Let me be according to your word. Let me live under your sovereignty, under your care, under your salvation, under your protection. May it be to me according to your word. It's very important there that the angel says, according to your word. Because this, the book, the Bible, is how God deals with us. Okay? There's only one inspired book, and that's the Bible. It's the one that he deals with us. What is according to your word when we talk about salvation? As, as I've, I've repeated over and over in this message, it's, it's repentance and faith. It's for that person who's not a Christian. Is I'm living this way. I'm living after my flesh. I'm living in my sin, and I turn away. And not just turn away from sin. That would just be legalism. But turn to the Savior. To turn to Christ. That's what, the, that's what the New Testament teaches. That we turn to him. We don't live this perfect life, sinless perfectionism, some people call it. But we live a life in grace where we're pursuing him. And we're walking out our sanctification where we're growing in life. And the more we grow, the more we grow the less we deal with the flesh and the more we please God and we live a life like Mary as a, as a true servant. Have you said that prayer to him? Have you, have you made that declaration to him? Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. If you're here this morning and you've not experienced this new life in Christ, you don't know. You, I, I, David, I, I think I said a prayer. I think I said something. I think I signed a card. I, I, I think I went somewhere and, and said a little prayer, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the Bible says. You can see it right here. It's surrender. Salvation 
is surrendering to Christ. It's turning, turning from the old life of sin, turning to Christ, receiving him into your life, and saying, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for the example of Mary. She was, she was like one of us, trying to figure, figure life out, serving you. But the statement she makes in verse 38 speaks to our hearts this morning. May it be done to me according to your word. If you're here this morning and you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you haven't surrendered your life to him, I'm just going to ask you if you'd slip your hand up and I'll pray for you. Amen. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? My friend who raised your hand, it's, simple, it's, as, it's as simple as I said a while ago. You just say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the past. I'm leaving it behind. And I'm putting my trust in you. I'm putting my faith in you. You tell him that. And then you say, be it unto me according to your word. Lord Jesus, we just praise you and we thank you for moving in our hearts and moving in our church. And Father, I pray, God, not only for this individual, but I pray, Lord, for others, Father, that have began the journey, but they're wrestling. Lord, let them remind them today through your word to just surrender. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you... Uh, do a mighty work in our church and in those who are surrendering to you. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.